Hi there, I'm Nathan Gordon, Government Affairs Director of Your Washington Realtors, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. Hello everybody, I'm Bill Clark, I'm your Policy Director for Washington Realtors. So Bill, uh, we're heading into the 2023 session. I know we still have sort of some holiday activities in front of us, but uh, when we get back from that, um, pretty quickly we'll be right in, uh, in the beginning of session. And right now, Everything that we've seen, everything that we've read says that 2023 lines up to be a really big housing session. That yeah, that's right. So the legislature starts January 9th, and just last week, Governor Inslee rolled out his proposed budget and a number of ideas relating to housing, including a $4 billion housing referendum that would go on the ballot this fall. We'll be working on that and on a number of other policy bills, but what's clear at this point is that housing will be perhaps the top issue for the legislature during 2023. So we have the governor's proposal, which we'll kind of follow as the details, as more details emerge. And then we have, there's probably gonna be, I don't know, nine or 10 probably fairly significant housing bills that the legislature is gonna take some time on. So let's talk about a little, uh, a little bit of uh, uh, the most important bills. But before that, let's start with the agency law bill, right? So this is an issue that President Cherry Daniels put together a presidential advisory group to, um, to advise leadership on, um, based off of lawsuits that we've seen coming out of the Midwest. Uh, and so uh, the, the presidential advisory group, or PAG, as we like to call it, they came out with a couple of recommendations, probably the most significant of which is that uh, we asked the legislature to require that buyer's brokers have a buyer's agency agreement. That's right. So the PAG process met during all of 2022 and involved a number of members and industry attorneys looking not only at Washington's agency law, which really hasn't been changed since the 1990s, but also issues around the country and issued a number of recommendations, one of which was to have a written buyer agency agreement required just like there's a written seller agency agreement now. That's one of the recommendations. It also makes other changes, including a more explicit disclosure of dual agency and some of the limitations that come with dual agency representation and an update to the agency law pamphlet, which as many people know, really just reprints the statute and is not understandable to consumers. So all the changes proposed for the agency law are really intended to make the agency law focus and work better for consumers and really update the law to meet consumer expectations. I feel good that anybody hearing this on this video, this does come as a surprise to them because we've done a series of videos through Washington Realtors that over 5,000 of our members saw. We've done now a couple of magazine articles in the Realtor Magazine. So if you're watching this, you're probably not surprised. No, and if you are wanting more information on it, there are at least two articles we've done through the magazine. The Legal Hotline has covered it a number of times. Uh, we did special sessions on it at the fall business conference. And so there's a lot of materials available for people if they want to learn more about this issue. Yeah, there's a whole page up on Washington Realtors website that has all of those resources on yep, it. So take right. a look at that. All right, so on from agency, and let's talk a little bit about housing supply, right? Yep. We know we hear it every year. Um, our members want us, we just did a survey, in fact, our members want us to really focus on two things this session. Taxes around the transactions, taxes and fees around the transactions, and uh, housing inventory. Right, so those are the two biggest things they want us to work on. So let's talk about kind of an easy one here. Uh, leasebacks, right, leasebacks is part of a sale. So what, what are we doing there? That's right, one of the questions on uh, leasebacks, which can be common if the buyer's not ready to move in or the seller's not ready to move out is, does that leaseback situation 
trigger compliance with the state's Landlord-Tenant Act. That's been an issue of legal question the last couple of years, so one bill that we put together uh, for January is clarifying that the lease back that's entered into at the time of sale is not subject to the Landlord-Tenant Act. The buyer and the seller can work out the terms of that lease back when they close the transaction so they're not subject to Landlord-Tenant Act requirements. And the, But that those terms have to be in writing? They would have to be in writing as part of the closing, that's right. Okay, great. Sounds like an easy fix, Should but be. an important one. Should be. Um, condos. Condos. We need more condos, yeah. Bill. Yep. Yeah. That's an area that I think when we look at surveys of housing supply around the state, there's a frequent mention of the lack of condo supply and the data supports it. We did a bill last year uh, looking at, at condo conversions and that process, and the data came back to show that Washington has one of the lowest rates of new condominium production of any other state. And so we have a bill that we put together with assistance from a number of other groups on a number of condo topics, including uh, liability issues, the building code, the energy code, uh, tax incentives, and things like that all across the board to make condos easier to build, hopefully to increase the supply of condominiums. All right, so condos probably more of an urban uh, area issue. Yes. Uh, so what about for our rural peeps, yeah. right? Um, accessory dwelling units in rural areas. There you go. You've got something for the city mice. Now yeah. something for the country mice is the issue of accessory dwelling units in rural areas or areas outside urban growth areas. Um, for various reasons, the Growth Management Hearings Board, which get appeals of local land use plans, has ruled for some counties that you cannot have detached accessory dwelling units outside of urban growth areas. So what that means is, if you, have a, if you have a single house, you could add on a 2,000 square foot addition to that house and have an attached ADU. You couldn't build a small 800 or 1,000 square foot separate dwelling for a detached ADU. Um, there have also been situations with our realtor members where because of that legal prohibition, people are going to build those ADUs anyway in a barn, in a shop, in a garage. It's not permitted. It has to be disabled when the transaction closes. It just shows how bad the housing market is, not just in urban areas, but in rural areas too. So this is an issue we're working closely with a number of counties on because counties are seeing this issue also in their rural areas. Excellent. Um, an issue that stirred up a lot of controversy last year, and it's back, although maybe a little... Um, uh, a little cleaner this year, and that's the middle housing proposal. Right. Yeah, middle housing is this idea of types of housing, styles of housing that are two units, four units, six unit type units. They can be apartments, they can be duplexes, they can be condominiums, but are built at a size and form that fit within existing neighborhoods. So they're not big apartment buildings, they're not high rise, they're mid rise, low rise that are neighborhood compatible. And the, the statistics are that in cities, about 70% of residential areas only allow single-family detached housing. The essence of the middle housing proposal is to allow at least up to four plexes or six plexes to be built within residential areas. And so we're working on different language that would, would apply in cities to have more middle housing built, which is seen as being able to fit into neighborhoods in a way that's more affordable. Bill, that the middle housing issue, is that a requirement that a developer would buy a duplex would, would build a duplex or a fourplex, or is that an option? It's an option for the developer or for the landowner. It's giving the landowner or the developer or the lot owner the choice of do they want to build a single-family house, which they could, or a duplex or a fourplex, depending on the size of the lot and the market that they want to build to. 
So it's not a mandate to build those. It's no. just if it makes sense. The it's developer just, it, must be allowed. To that's build right. Those. They have to be allowed to build something up to, and we'll see how the legislation goes. It could be up to a fourplex. It could be up to a sixplex. That's up to the legislature to decide. But there are a lot of areas where there's only single-family detached housing is the only choice. So the mandate right now is on the developer to only build single-family detached. Okay. And then there'll also be a bill with permit streamlining, still kind of coming together, but we all know that it takes, you know, it takes a long time for homes to be built. Typically in the process, um, cities can pause that permit, the clock on the permit yep. for a multiple number of reasons. And this bill is just gonna say like, that 120 day clock needs to be a real 120 day clock. Yeah, there are a number of issues in just the permit timeline, not only the 120 day period to process permit applications, but also some potential changes to things like SEPA and design review that could fit into a single bill to reduce development regulation so you can get through that 120 days more quickly. And then other than that, there's sort of a handful of smaller bills that we haven't talked about. There's some lot splitting, there's uh, transit-oriented development, or TOD, mm -hmm. as the uh, yeah. cool kids on the hill call it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, and there are a couple more, right? Name? Uh, lot splitting is one. Yeah. Transit-oriented development is one that would focus on areas near like uh, South Transit light rail stations. There'll be some specific development regulation proposals that uh, home builders are working on. And like you said, it may be see, it may seem a little quiet on the housing front right now, but there are lots of bills that are in progress through some of our allies we work with on housing and through the code revisor's office that you will see in the first week of January, and certainly you'll see them by the time Washington Realtors Hill Day comes around. That's right. And so if you're sitting there thinking, God, these are great bills, what can I do to support them? Come join us, right? Come to Hill Day. You can register for Hill Day now on the Washington Realtors website. Um, Hill Day itself is January 19th, and, um, and we do a briefing in the morning, and then we all hop on buses and go talk to legislators. It really is a lot of fun, um, and I think it's one thing, it's one way that our members from across the state can really take part in um, creating positive legislation around us. Yeah, and I would say this year more than ever, I think our legislative yeah. agenda reflects what our members have said are the most important issues they're seeing in their real estate practices, whether you're in a rural area, an urban area, whether you're trying to simplify transactions, whether you're focused on, on consumer concerns, all those issues will be front and center during 2023. So there you go. We hope to see you at Hill Day. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, learning a little bit about the various bills that are gonna be out there in the legislature. It's gonna be a busy year. We'll keep on doing these videos. Bill, maybe we can get you back. Uh, Happy to do it. Maybe a month into session, sure. so we can talk about where we're at. Any final words? No, sounds good. Look forward to seeing people in Olympia January 19th. All right. Thanks for being a member. Thank you.